In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Over the years, books that emphasize the power of positive thinking have become more and more popular. The book that really started the trend was The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale way back in 1952. In it, Peale posits that you can improve the quality of your life by having a permanently optimistic attitude through unending positive thoughts, usually accomplished through affirmations and visualizations. In more recent times, we've had The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle and The Secret by Rhonda Byrne, books that promise that you can change your life by changing your attitude. The basic premise of all these books is that thinking positive thoughts actually makes happy outcomes more likely. As is often the case, this parade of books on positivity spawned a bit of a backlash. Several years ago, Barbara Ehrenreich wrote Brightsided, How Positive Thinking is Undermining America. In it, she claims that we Americans have bought into this ideology of positive thinking to our personal detriment and to the harm of the nation. She argues that this belief causes people to close their eyes to reality, to substitute wishful thinking for positive action. Further, she argues that the positive thinkers of the world actually diminish those who are facing the kind of trouble that can't be wished away. Those fighting cancer are told that having a positive attitude might actually affect their prognosis. That those who stay consistently upbeat in the face of bad news might have a better chance of recovery than those who feel scared or sad or powerless. It feels like a case of blaming the victim. And when our friends and loved ones are honest enough to share the hard and scary things they're facing, Many of us, having been initiated into this power of positive thinking, respond with shallow assurances like, you've got this thumbs up emoji. Psychotherapist Whitney Goodman has dubbed these responses dismissive positivity, and she does not find them helpful. Many of us have been on the receiving end of this kind of thinking. Those who have lost their jobs are told that they can surmount the hard realities of mid-career job transition by maintaining a positive attitude. Those looking to find a mate, to have a meaningful relationship with another are advised to be high energy and positive and engaging. Young people are encouraged to believe in the inevitability of their success. Most of us remain unconvinced of the more extreme expressions of this ideology, but there is something in us that responds to the suggestion that believing in something will make it so. There is so much in our lives that is out of our control, but we do have control over our thoughts and attitudes. There is no question that a positive outlook makes it easier for us to deal with the various slings and arrows of life that come our way. It is certainly better to be positive than to be chronically sad or angry or resentful. There is much to commend positive thinking. Where positive thinking becomes dangerous, Ehrenreich argues, 
is when it is willfully self-deceptive. At best, it can set us up for a crushing disappointment. And at worst, it can keep us from taking rational action that could actually improve our situation. But I see an even deeper problem. This view of the world suggests that our human flourishing, that the fulfillment of our humanity is all up to us. That we have the power to overcome all obstacles by the sheer force of our thoughts and desires. What message does this send to a grieving spouse or parent or to a family that's fallen out of the middle class and has to sell the house? or to someone facing a truly serious illness. There is sorrow in the world that cannot be met with an exhortation to think positive thoughts. Against this ideology of positive thinking, the Gospel of John has another message. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. And the word became flesh and lived among us. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. John tells us something has happened in the world that has changed our situation forever. The eternal word of God the second person of the Trinity who exists outside the bounds of time has entered our history. This word has become flesh. God has chosen to live among us. Suddenly, a whole new possibility for humanity has opened up. The possibility of knowing God in a deeper, more intimate way than was ever before available. Because Jesus has come to us, we know that God is not remote and inaccessible, locked away in the vast reaches of eternity. God has acted definitively for us, deigning to be circumscribed by mortal flesh and to live a human life with all its troubles and sorrows and limitations. This is essential. Jesus did not come among us as a polite observer of our sins and miseries. He came as one of us. And at the same time, he is not us. He is God. He didn't come simply to set a good example for us to follow. He came to rescue us. And to do so, he had to live with us and die for us. The incarnation is nothing less than the divine love bending down to us in our desperate need because we humans are incapable of saving ourselves. Only the word made flesh, the one who comes to us from beyond us, has the power to save us. All of you are here on the Sunday between Christmas and New Year. So I assume you are folks who have been shaped by the gospel. I don't think you've come here today with the conviction that if you only think it hard enough, your positive thoughts will make it so. You are here and I am here. 
because we have been grasped by something beyond us, something beyond the power of our thoughts and imaginations. John staked his life on getting out the story about God's power to change human destiny. And we are the grateful recipients of that good news. A positive attitude does not save us. Only the word made flesh can do that. God has entered our world, our lives, to let us know that we are not alone and powerless. We are held by one who has the power to speak to us in the depths of our souls, to deliver us from evil, and to raise us from the dead. God does not promise that we will be shielded from loss and pain and disappointment, but we are not left to make our own destiny, our thoughts and attitudes notwithstanding. The word has become flesh and lives among us and for us, full of grace and truth. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Amen.